What's up, friends? It's Haley Hines, a.k.a. Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Give Him the Bird. In this episode, I sit down with my friend and registered dietitian, Alex Schmidt, who is the mom of two girls. She is a Midwest girl through and through who loves coffee, cozy sweaters, cooking, Pilates, and colorful pens, but most of all, she loves helping moms make peace with food for themselves and their families. In this episode, we talk about so many good things. Alex shares how her definition of healthy and fit has changed throughout the years. She talks about why it's so important to work with your children on intuitive eating and also why we should be talking about body size with our kids. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's get to it. Okay. Hello, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Haley, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Like I was literally just telling you off mic, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I feel like all that you stand for, all that you talk about needs to be heard by the masses. So it's so exciting that um, I get to have you on as a guest. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. It's so fun to connect with other people who like think the same way you do and then can like tweak it in different avenues, I think. Uh, I totally agree because talking about listeners will find out we're going to be talking about like intuitive eating with kids. Like, obviously that's not my expertise. I have no children. So (laughs) to have somebody who is an expert in this area is, is really important. But before we talk about that, why don't you just tell us more about you? So give us um, an introduction about you professionally, personally, all the things. Awesome. Yeah. That's so funny. Like anytime anybody asks these questions, I'm like, okay, I just like, what do I say? To make yeah. sure that I cover all the things. Yes. <laughs> well, I think, I don't know if your listeners are Enneagram people, but mm. I will say I'm very much an Enneagram nine. So if that means anything to you, awesome. Um, it means I'm a peacemaker. So I think in like all the things that I do, I try to please everybody. Mm. Um, we'll maybe find out more about this in a couple of like, when you ask me some questions, but it's very hard for me to like take a stance in something, um, because I can see a lot of people's perspectives. So on the one hand, it can be difficult. On the other hand, I think it's a really wonderful gift, um, because I think that helps me in my professional role as well as like being a mom in general. Um, but I guess, Growing up, I'm from Wisconsin and we moved around a lot when I was a kid, but I would say I'm primarily like from Wisconsin, which maybe you can tell when I say the word Wisconsin. (laughs) Yes, I hear it. (laughs) I've been like practicing now that we live in (laughs) Iowa to stop saying it like that. Oh my gosh. Um, I went to college at UW-Stout and that's where I got my undergraduate degree. It's in Menominee, Wisconsin, so a really small town. Um, And then I did my dietetic internship at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. So like my senior year of college found out that I was placed here at the university and did that. It's a 10 month long internship program. And then I graduated and sat for the registered dietitian exam 
and I've been a registered dietitian for seven years. Wow. So yeah, in those seven years I've worked, um, I worked very briefly at a community hospital in Muscatine and then um, ended up getting hired at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics again and started out there as uh, relief in the inpatient units. So I would just kind of like go wherever they needed dietitian help that day. Um, and then otherwise I then moved into cardiology. So I was the inpatient cardiology dietitian and I worked also in the um, intensive care unit, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. That was the, such a cool job. And then um, after I had my first baby, we, I was able to go down to part-time. So once I switched to that, then I moved into the outpatient transplant clinic, which is where I am now. So, um, I'm doing that currently. And then also trying to start my own private practice, which is focusing on what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Um, I found out through the years that I really enjoy outpatient, which is sort of more of what I would do in a private practice setting, just working one-on-one -on -one with more time with mm -hmm. patients. I found on the inpatient unit, I was like the dietitian in there for like 45 minutes being like, okay, tell me about all the things that you've tried. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it's working. Okay. What can we do? What are some goals you want to set? And they're like in there, like in an ICU, just had a triple bypass surgery, <laughs> you know, like oh they're like, God. get out of here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I really like outpatient. And then so it's kind of my summary on being a professional, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then um, otherwise, I'm a mom of two girls. I am Jay is three and a half and Lucy is 10 months old. Um, they're the best. <laughs> and I'm married. I've been married to Josh for seven years. And otherwise, I, I guess I'm like very stereotypical dietitian. I really like cooking, <laughs> exercising. <laughs> And colorful pens. I don't know if that's like a thing colorful in other pens. profession, but I swear like that's what the girls in my office, that's what we buy each other every year for Christmas. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. I'm going to have to send you like a thanks for being on my podcast, colorful pen, just like the <laughs> widest array of colors. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. In my heart. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, um, I love what you were saying about why you enjoy outpatient, um, so much. And it reminds me of when I worked in corporate wellness, I would have 30 minutes back, 30 minute back to back health coaching appointments. And I would like, I'm a, I'm a chit chatter. I'm a small talker. Like I got to build that rapport and like, you know, get on your level. And then 20 minutes of the session would be gone. And I'd be like, Oh shit, we actually have to like check in on your goals. Otherwise I'm going to get fired. Right. <laughs> so similar to how you found out you didn't like inpatient like in that way, that was how I found out that I didn't, well, there were a couple of things I didn't like about the, like the setting and like employee wellness in general. But, um, I found out like 30 minutes is not enough for me. Like even now when I have appointments, I gotta have an hour, <laughs> you know, if yeah. we get done sooner than that, cool. But, um, yeah, so I, I love that you like to build a connection and talk more with them. So, um, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Definitely. I love too, that you have, um, obviously the experience, like I know to become an RD, you have to do like the clinical rotation. So I love that you have the, 
the clinical background. Um, but I think with intuitive eating, um, which we're going to talk about, a lot of times people think it's like it, it doesn't seem very clinical, um, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. So I just think that's a great, a great combo. Um, one of the questions I love to ask people um, on this podcast, and one of the things that I really like to do is like challenge what it means to be healthy and fit. And um, so I'm kind of curious for you, like how has your definition or your idea of what it means to be healthy and fit changed throughout the years? If it, if at all, it has. <laughs> oh, yes. <it> has. <laughs> I figured, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when I was growing up, so I come from a family and my parents are both very active. So my mom um, is a group fitness instructor and she has been like my whole life. Like I can remember being like in fifth or sixth grade and going to Tybo classes that she, Oh my gosh. So Tybo. Oh my gosh. We had the, we had the VHS tapes of those, yes. like the, um, double time or whatever. Yes. You would say. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So she even still teaches today. She teaches a silver sneakers class, which oh. is very adorable. Her little groupies are just like so precious. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And my dad is a professor. So he teaches exercise physiology at um, UW lacrosse. And he's also like the (laughs) volunteer strength coach for the football team. So is very, very involved in exercise. And I think like growing up in that environment where both parents role models and me being somebody who just like wanted to do good and be good. I very much was like, okay, health and fitness is also something that I care a lot about. Mm. And so, um, I did a lot of sports growing up and like, it was never really great at any of them, but I loved them and loved being a part of something. Um, and I think that like, as I've grown up, I, I had this very clear definition of health being that it looked a certain way and you did certain things to achieve that look. Mm-hmm. And maybe you weren't exercising to look that way, or you weren't eating to look that way, but it was definitely tied together. It was like one package. If you are healthy, you look this way and you do these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, we ate a certain way in that, like, I was always trying to eat fruits and vegetables and limit desserts, even though I loved desserts and I hated fruits and vegetables, I would do it because it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you don't like it. It doesn't matter that you're not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. You just need to do it um, because that's what's good for you. And that makes you a good person. Mm -hmm. And I think since I became a mom, that has really changed for me. Um, I mean, I think, I think that, so there's this theory out there. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's sort of that when you're a kid or, or in general, you learn all the rules of something when you're trying to like participate or be in something, right? You learn all the rules and you follow the rules. And then naturally you get to a point where you hit a rebel phase. So we say that a lot with teenagers, right? They're rebellious and they do that all the things they're not supposed to do, but you have to do that in order to find out what works for you. So you all of a sudden stop following all of the rules and you just do whatever you want to do and do it your way. And then after time, you kind of find that like, that's not really sustainable either. So you kind of blend the things together where there's the rules that you need to follow because it feels good for you. And then there's things that you can kind of do away with. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that meant 
I actually stopped exercising and really dove into the, um, the element of make peace with food (laughs) part of intuitive eating. So like a lot of people from an outsider's perspective would be like, something's wrong with her. She's really (laughs) letting herself go or whatever. Cause I was eating all this like quote unquote junk food and I was not exercising whatsoever. And then I didn't feel very good. I figured out that like, you know, I really do like to exercise maybe not in the ways that I was doing it before, but I do like to move my body. Mm -hmm. And I really do like some fruits and vegetables if I just prepare them in a way that is good to me. It may not be like the ways that I've been taught, but I do like fruits and vegetables. So um, all of that to say, I think I had to go through that phase of like, being the obedient girl, Mm -hmm. going to the rebellious phase. And then now I'm in this place of like, for me personally, I have found what works for me and what feels good and keeps my mental health good as well as my physical health. Oh, that was so beautiful. Like you painted such a good picture. I love the, yeah, the obedience versus a rebellion. And that like totally aligns without even having like talked about it together. That really aligns with like the voices I'm trying to amplify with this podcast. Like mm-hmm. I think so often that we could call it obedient and rebellion or like black and white side of, of health and fitness. It's like mm-hmm. on one end of the spectrum, it's clean eating and macro counting and six pack abs, mm-hmm. right? Which might be that quote unquote obedient. And then I think on the other side, and I think we get to the rebellious side, just like we get to the obedient side because of a number of different factors that like kind of push us there we move there but where it's like we throw our hands up in the air and food you know eat whatever we want like without any sort of you know conscience about like health um you know maybe not move at all and I think that what's really important is the gray area the part in the middle um yeah because I think the the voices at either end of the spectrum like the obedient and the rebellious like those are the loudest um but the gray area is where most people are at. And I think the gray area is where like we we are able to find what works for us. Like we're not following somebody else's rules and regulations. Like we're doing we're exactly what you mentioned, like finding finding what fits with, with our lives, which I think is ultimately that's what this that's what life is all about. Like finding out mm-hmm. what works for us. So I think, yeah, the I love the obedient versus rebellious. Yeah. And I think you hit on something important too, like that gray area is where most people are, but they're being told all the time that that's not good enough, right? It's not just like, oh, you can live peacefully there. I feel like you do have to go through the obedience and rebellion so that you can get to the gray area Mm -hmm. and be okay with being there. Yes. That is such a good point because yeah, in the gray area, we're either told we're doing too much or not enough. It's like, we're not just we don't, we don't necessarily recognize it as being the gray area unless we've seen both sides of the spectrum. I love that you mentioned that. That is such a good point. Um, that so many people who might naturally live in the gray area, but don't realize it because they're being told that where they're at is not correct. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mind blown. (laughs) Mind blown. I love that. (laughs) So, um, you started talking about it a little bit, like with intuitive eating. So tell me more about, um, let's talk nourishing babes. Like I, I love this. I love your, your Instagram page. I just think that like, I have already learned so much just from, 
from scrolling through it and from following you and from like listening to what you say. So how, how, what is Nourishing Babes? How did it come about and what, yeah, what do you do? Ah, thanks for asking. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So hmm, how did it come about? Well, okay. So for a few years, ever since I started learning more about intuitive eating, I've been feeling like I want to shout it on the mountaintops. Like I want everybody to do it. I want everybody to learn about it. And I recognize that that's not like accessible to everybody. It's not where everybody's at. It's not ideal for everybody, maybe right where they are currently, but I want to like get the news out that they can at least <laughs> yes. consider it as an option. <laughs> oh um, yes. So in doing that, I think that I just started feeling like I have a lot of feelings about this and I want to share it with people. So initially when I started it, I just, I really just decided to start intuitive eating or start nourishing babes because I wanted to be able to tell moms, um, how to survive the pandemic when it comes to feeding their kids, because that was what I was hearing. My little group of mom friends was like, all of a sudden texting me all the time being like, um, what should I feed my kid for lunch today? Or like, I feel like we keep eating the same four things. Like, do you have any ideas for me? Or can you send me a recipe for dinner? Cause I don't feel like cooking, but like we're stuck in the house and I have to cook now. Mm So, excuse me. Um, when I, when I started that, I really just thought like, I'm going to get on here. I'm going to share some meal plans. I'm going to share some fun recipes and, Maybe I'll slip in some like shared Instagram posts that other people are posting about diet culture. I'll just Mm. sneak that in there. Yeah. (laughs) And um, as that started, then I was like, I have some feelings I want to share too. I have some ideas that I want to share with people. And so as I started doing that a little bit more um, and doing some more research, I started reading um, Ellen Satter's Child of Mine Mm. and Secrets to Raising a Healthy Family or I'm sorry, secrets to feeding a healthy family. (laughs) Um, And they really talk about how to apply. It's basically intuitive eating for kids, but it's, um, I guess she words it a little differently. So as I started learning that, I was like, oh, everybody needs to learn this structure because it makes such a world of difference. And then they won't be stressed about the, what should I feed my kid? How should I get them to eat vegetables? How can I do this mothering and parenting and feeding my kid the best way. Um, So that's how it kind of took off. And then I found that like making Canva graphics is really fun. Oh my gosh. I (laughs) freaking love Canva. (laughs) So much fun. I think it goes with the like colored pens thing. I'm like, this is super awesome. Yes. (laughs) And then they start, like people started liking them and sharing them. And then I like met people like you and found other moms who were struggling with, I think, feeding their kids, but not just like the nitty gritty of like, what do I feed them for lunch today? It's just this huge, like, how do I make them not be a picky eater or how can I talk about food in a positive way so that they have a good relationship with their bodies, which Mm -hmm. is way deeper than just like, I don't know what to make for dinner. Right. Yeah. Way deeper. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, then I hired a business coach because I felt like I want to like do this. I want this to hell. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, I did that. I've been, I had worked with her for like a few months and got some ideas going of programs I could offer. And, um, 
ways to be more supportive to parents than just like information on Instagram. Because frankly, Instagram doesn't give space to like do counseling. It's not supposed to, it's marketing really. Right. So, um, so I think having more conversations now with moms primarily about feeding their kids and what that can look like, um, has been really cool. Mm -hmm. I have to acknowledge the fact that I didn't know that you just started that this year. Like, Oh yeah. Wow. I didn't know. I mean, like I clearly did scroll back through all your old posts, but I just, from the way that you, you, uh, you like show up on social media and on Instagram. And I just feel like you have like your mom tip Mondays and you do your, like do lives and you're just very engaging. I was like, Oh, this girl's been doing it for a while. Like that's, <laughs> and then when you just said you started it with the pandemic, I, I don't know if you saw my face. So I was kind of like, Oh, like, wow. <laughs> I did not know this. I thought you've been doing, you know, this nourishing babes for, for years. But um, yeah, I, I think it's so important. And I think that um, again, going back, back to this idea of, raising intuitive eaters. I'm curious like to hear from you from like a parent perspective, but also as a professional, like why do you think it's important for parents to work on intuitive eating with their kids? And and what are some, maybe some ways that they can start? Um, I know that you've mentioned some resources, obviously following you, it's a good place to start, but yeah. Why do you think it's so important? Um, that's a great question. I, I think it's important for parents work with their children using the principles of intuitive eating and the division of responsibility, because I really think that our homes help our children build resiliency. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more than just getting vegetables into your kid or making them appreciate healthy food, right? I think is like the myth that exists. I think Outside of our homes, there's no question that our kids are going to be exposed to diet culture. It's everywhere. It's in their TV shows. It's at school. It's their friends are saying things to them. We can't think that they're never going to hear those messages. Mm -hmm. And so if we start teaching them about those things early, then I think they can have the verbiage and the tools that exist so that they can live within our diet culture, but not succumb to it. Oh, that was really (laughs) beautiful. Holy cow. That was really powerful. Like just, I love that. I'm literally picturing it on a Canva post on my Instagram right now. Like I love what you just said. Oh, that is such, that is such a good point. When I, when I first started talking about this stuff too, I remember thinking like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to be, you know, be one of those voices in like diet culture, like F you, you're going bye-bye. But Mm -hmm. the bottom line is like, I don't think that that's possible. It's just like so many other structural things that just are so without, without our control, like in terms of like the hierarchy. But, um, so I think what you said of teaching them and helping them build resilience at home and almost like providing them with a toolkit to face diet Mm -hmm. culture is so that's so that's such a beautiful way to look at it yeah I I mean I just think that like no parent's gonna wake up one day and think like I'm gonna ruin my kids relationship with food in their body like I'm gonna just destroy that (laughs) nobody wakes up thinking that but I think that what happens when we aren't intentional about what we do what things we're looking at um the information that we take in as parents 
if we can't look at that with a critical eye, then I think it just accidentally gets passed down to our kids. Mm. So I think that the intentionality behind intuitive eating and the division of responsibility can really help kids overall, because I think as parents, we're changing what we're thinking and taking in and seeing. And then that is what gets talked about at the dinner table or um, when we're reading books with our kids. I think of like, um, there's a Daniel Tiger book. Daniel Tiger is a huge, (laughs) huge part of our life right now. (laughs) Um, There's a Daniel Tiger book where Daniel goes to the doctor and he gets weighed Mm. and the doctor says you're a healthy weight and three stripes tall and whenever I read that I initially was like kind of cringy about it like I'm like I don't like that I don't like how she says that and so I literally took a marker and scribbled out a healthy weight and I wrote um a weight that's perfect for you oh (laughs) Mm. I think that like just little things like that little maybe catchphrases or sayings that normally would just like not bother people, I think is another place that we have an opportunity to change the story that gets told, that gets passed to our kids because maybe their friends aren't at a quote unquote healthy weight, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so to say that they go to the doctor and what, they don't get a sticker or something if they aren't at a healthy weight or like not everybody is healthy. Not everybody's like to hit back on that book, not everybody's heart beats correctly and not everybody's body can run. Mm -hmm. So to say that like, that's the only way to be healthy is not true. Mm -hmm. So I think just teaching our kids um, the value of diversity in bodies and body's ability is equally as important as say exercising for an hour every day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, um, the work has to really start like with, I'm going to say ourselves, even though I'm not a parent, <laughs> but like ourselves as parents, um, yeah, we yeah. have to be aware of like the diet culture and just the harmful impacts of diets and just weight stigma in general. Like mm-hmm. we know that weight stigma being, you know, discriminated against because of your weight is literally more harmful to your health than the, the foods that you eat and the movement that you do. Um, So yeah, it sounds like it really has to start internally and start with parents being kind of like waking up to the idea of of diet culture and how it exists in the world in order to, you know, stop, stop it from infiltrating (laughs) our kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, you kind of mentioned um, some of the things that you hear. It sounds like moms and from moms in particular, like my picky eater, like how, why is my kid so picky at eating or how do I get them to eat this or that? I'm curious if there are like common struggles that, that you hear, like what are some of the the common things that you hear from parents? Um, and, and what are some ways that, that you might work with them to overcome those, those barriers or struggles? Yeah. So with the picky eating, that is a huge one. Um, and I think that it just freaks people out because their kids get on food jags, I guess they'll call it, or um, just like prefer certain foods. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, when Jay was like two and a half, she, the only fruit she ate was raisins. (laughs) And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm a dietitian and my kid only eats raisins. And I was listening to all these podcasts and one of them said like, it was talking about like junk food, introducing your kids to junk food or whatever, and how um, 
um, doing that, like, would you worry about your kid if they were just eating carrots? Would you worry if they were asking for more and more carrots? And I remember thinking like, yes, I am very worried that she only eats raisins. <laughs> so I think in going through that struggle myself and feeling like, oh gosh, I don't know what we're ever going to do is once I figured out that the division of responsibility, um, once I figured out how that worked, it was a total game changer for us. Mm-hmm. And so what that, what that concept teaches is there are specific roles for the parent and specific roles for the child. Mm-hmm. And if everybody does their own specific roles and doesn't try to do each other's, there will be harmony at the table and your child will start to be more adventurous and feel safe around new foods. Mm-hmm. So the specific roles for the parents are the what, the where, and the when of eating. And for the kid, it's whether they eat and if they do eat, how much. So it's very interesting because I think um, for me, the raisin thing was like, well, this is the only fruit she'll eat. So I'll just keep giving it to her. So in that sense, she was deciding what, because Mm -hmm. I was not branching outside of what I said she would eat. Right. Mm -hmm. And she... I guess I was like not sticking within my role because I was letting her run the show. Mm. But once we decided to do the division of responsibility, then I would offer maybe craisins instead of raisins. That gives a little bit of variety and she wasn't running the show anymore. Mm. Or I would offer something totally different that she'd never seen before. And maybe she would ask for raisins and I would say, not right now, maybe next time we eat, we can have raisins. So then now I have a three and a half year old who will eat all kinds of fruit and tell me that she loves mango and bananas, or she'll say like, I like bananas, but I'm not in the mood for them right now. (laughs) That's so cute. Yeah. We have all all this language. I think that, um, in using the division of responsibility in my own home and then teaching that to other parents, I hear so many stories like that, where it's like, oh my gosh, we were totally stuck on like peanut butter and jelly, mac and cheese and hot dogs. And that's all they would eat. And then we, you know, asking the question, well, what do you feed them? Well, mac and cheese and hot dogs and peanut butter Mm. and jelly. Well, of course that's all they eat. That's all they are exposed to. Mm. So I think giving parents the tools and knowing that it's okay if their kid does not eat, like that that's an okay response to an offer of food. Mm. Um, I think it just gives parents this knowledge and peace with like their child can make decisions. So Mm -hmm. I love that. So parents for the division of responsibility, parents get to decide what, where, and when, Mm -hmm. what, where, and when, and then kids decide if they eat how much. And what was the other thing? That's it. (laughs) Oh, that's all they get. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's, that's such a good point. And I feel like too, it's like, again, coming from a non-parent's mind, but it gives them some autonomy, mm-hmm. but it also is like, I think the fact that you said it's okay if your kid doesn't eat, um, like that's okay. You know, like they, mm-hmm. if, when they are hungry, kids have that beautiful ability. They're still in tune with their hunger signals yeah. <laughs> when they are hungry again, they, they will let you know. Um, yeah, that's really powerful. I had never heard of the division of responsibility before. So, um, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's really helpful. And I think it, it 
does tie into the intuitive eating because like you said, kids do have hunger skill, hunger signals and fullness ability to like mm-hmm. feel that. And so I always think of like feeding our 10 month old. Like if I keep spoon feeding her when she's turning her head away and like giving me all the signals that she's full, but I, for whatever reason, think that I need to give her all of the stuff in this applesauce cup that a baby formula company put in here. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how hungry she is. I don't know. I'm not in her body. I have no idea what her belly feels like. So I think it's helpful to just give that framework and permission that like, they're probably not going to eat a balanced meal every time, even though you offer it to them. Mm -hmm. But over time, if you just back off a little bit, they will eat a balanced diet. Nobody truly wants macaroni and cheese every meal, every day, forever. (laughs) Like, I don't know if anybody has ever tried that, but you (laughs) think of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that is totally part of the intuitive eating. Like, one of the the big things that people, why they're hesitant to try intuitive eating is like the fear associated with it. Like mm-hmm. I will, you know, I, I won't be able to stop eating. I will only eat, you know, quote unquote bad or junk food. It's just like a lot of fear associated with it. And I've totally been there and felt that. But the studies of it really show that, you know, long-term things balance out, whatever balance, you know, you, however you want to call it. I know it's kind of a buzzword, but we mm-hmm. balance the fun foods with like the uber nourishing foods and we still get to enjoy the foods that we love. And we also get to eat, you know, maybe the foods that, yeah, we don't love as much, like they don't bring us as much joy, but we know that they nourish our body. So I can mm-hmm. definitely see that happening. Like, And another thing with it too, is I think they say like, there's a study that shows um, that you have to introduce types like food to kids, like five to 10 times or something like that. I don't know what it is in order for them to actually like it. There was some study done. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like 15 to 20, 15 to 20. Oh my gosh. And it's not even necessarily that they will like it after that point, but it's that many times to, um, to be open to trying it, like getting it in like an exposure can just be, you put a strawberry on a plate and they look at it. That's one. (laughs) The next time maybe they'll touch it. That's two. That's why we, I really encourage letting your kids play with food Mm. because it really does count as an exposure. I mean, if you think about it and you're a kid and you've maybe never seen a strawberry before and your parent puts it on your plate. I mean, of course they're like, what the heck is that? You know, (laughs) then they're like touching it and licking it or like taking a teeny tiny little bite of it. Like that's so appropriate. They Mm. are just like, they need to feel safe before they're going to put something in their mouth. So I think that's something to remember. Right. Yeah. That's such a good point. Well, 15 to 20, I was off by a few. I totally was like, yeah, if you just introduce it to them, you know, three times and by the fourth time, they'll love it. No, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. I mean, I just really want to emphasize, like, again, I don't have kids and I don't know if I want to have kids. Um, like, I'm not sure about having kids, but mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why I might, I don't want to say be afraid of having kids, but I just, I'm, I'm so scared for my kids to grow up and, you know, be at war with their bodies for mm-hmm like I have been. And I think it's just like, it really, it literally like brings a lot of emotions up for me when I see moms and parents like you, the way you talk to your, especially your daughters about their bodies and about food. And, um, I don't know, it just, it almost brings me like, this is really cheesy, but it makes me feel like hopeful. (laughs) Um, and I feel like, yeah, I just feel like I, I learn a lot from you. Um, 
And I think it makes it the whole idea of having kids like a little bit less scary. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. Just because I know that there's, this is a common thing, like kids struggle with food, kids struggle with their bodies, but there's people like you out there that are helping educate moms and, and parents um, to, to kind of try to get it quote unquote, right, <laughs> mm -hmm. right for their families. Um, yeah. One other thing that popped up for me as I was kind of saying that was the other day you post on your Instagram about talking to kids about their bodies. And you said like, should you talk to kids about their bodies? And you had like four different options. And yeah. um, it was like, no, never don't talk about bodies. Yes. Talk about bodies all the time. And then there were, I think there were a couple different options mm -hmm. and I actually selected don't talk about bodies. And then I was like, holy shit, I got it wrong. It is, <laughs> you were, we should talk about bodies. And I want to hear um, more about that. Like, I just think that's, that's so important. Yeah, I know. I tried to put that in there to trick people. Cause I thought you like, got me. Do that. <laughs> I find that it's kind of parallel to, um, what we're learning about, well, maybe what I'm learning is a better way to say this about anti-racism work. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to get this wrong and say the wrong thing. And then feel like I wish I wouldn't have started saying it because if I like, I'm not well-versed in this. It's something I'm still definitely learning as mm -hmm. a white woman trying yeah. to do the right thing and raising my children. Right. But what I'm learning is that we can't do the colorblind approach because kids see color as early as six months old. So if we like pretend that somebody else is not black, then we're not helping our child because they can see it. And so if we shush it, then they learn that that is bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. So same concept with bodies. So if we have if we see different bodies, it's great to point them out and show that they're different. Maybe I know one thing Jay, my three and a half year old has been very excited about telling me is like, whenever she plays with her friends, she ranks them in order of height. And the tallest one is the dad. The second one is mm -hmm. the mom and everybody else is the kids. And so I keep telling her, well, in our family, I'm shorter than daddy, but some people's moms are taller than their dads. And so we have to just like keep talking about people's bodies in terms of height or weight or shape or color, because she's noticing that there are differences. But if we pretend like those things that aren't things that she's noticing, then she's not going to be able to like figure it out in her brain. Yeah. Also, like anytime we're outside of home, we have that potential for influence from other people to play into what our kid is learning. So I think that like naming it and talking about it and calling it out or like even saying like that's different than what it is in our home, but that doesn't mean that it's bad mm -hmm. is is really important. Yeah. Um, I did have somebody ask me in regard to that post, I had a lot of feedback and questions about it because someone asked me, well, what am I supposed to do if my child says, look, mom, that person's fat because at home we're saying there are fat bodies, there are thin bodies and all this. So I think that the important thing to name in that sense is that in our home, we don't view fat as being a bad thing. The more that, like, if your kid in the grocery store is like, mom, that lady's fat. And you say, shh, we don't say that. That is not nice. Well, then they're going to learn that being fat is bad, uh, that we don't talk about other people's bodies, which to an extent is maybe true, right. but that you can't notice the differences and that 
um, that then if you shush it, you're associating shame for your child with fat. Mm. So all of those are not a good thing, right? We want our kids to accept all different bodies. So in that sense, your kid hollers out in the grocery store, that lady's fat. Then all you have to say is her body is bigger than yours. Or yes, her body looks different than so-and-so's. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool how all bodies are different? Uh, Done. That's the end of that conversation. They don't have shame. Nobody has shame, hopefully. And honestly, I know a lot of times people are like, what am I supposed to do about that woman though? Like she's going to mm-hmm. feel awful if I'm just like, yeah, she is fat. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, you're a grown up, So you initiate that conversation say, Hey, we're learning about bodies in our family. And we think that your body is great. Oh, uh, you know, wow. I don't think there's any, yes, you may have to do a little bit of repair because societally we're not at a full acceptance of the word fat, but, mm-hmm. um, the more that we neutralize that for our kids, the better it's going to be. Oh, wow. Yeah. There were so many good things that you mentioned. I love like the, the parallel you made between, um, like anti-racism because, when I was thinking about it in my head, that's literally what I thought about. Like this year I have grown a lot in terms of just recognizing my privilege, like everything that has gone on um, and seeing my whiteness. And I've learned that like, I am totally a, I'm not going to talk about sticky topics. And now I definitely know that, um, no, I need to, I need to talk about these things. Like as, especially as a white person, like I need to need to talk about them. Um, And so I literally, before you even mentioned that now, like I made that connection in my mind of like, we can't not talk about these taboo things. Like we mm-hmm. have to talk about them, right? Cause like everybody experiences them. And then also what you mentioned about how, how powerful a uh, shh, we don't talk about that can be like all the mm-hmm. different layers um, and how simple of a, I don't want to call it a fix, but kind of like a simple little tweak in like our parenting or even just as people, as we talk about these things, how much of a difference it's, it's a small shift on our part, but like in terms of kids, it can make a world of difference to the way they see and respect and honor all different types of bodies and colors. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah, man, you are just like, I want to be your kid. I feel like you're a damn good mom. <laughs> your Thank kids you. are so lucky to have you. They really are. Get that on a, on a Canva post. You're a damn good mom. Oh my God. I'm going to like, yeah, print something out for you seriously and <laughs> color it in with all these different fun pen colors and you're yes. a damn good mom. You're doing yes. a damn good job. Um, so, okay. We've talked about nourishing babes. We've talked about intuitive eating. Um, where can we find you? Because I think if you are listening to this podcast, anybody, you have to follow nourishing babes. Like, Again, I love your content. I don't have a child, but I still engage. Like, I just, I love all the things that you're sharing are so important. Um, So I can only imagine as a parent how impactful they would be. So yeah, where can we find you? Tell us about like, I know you have a free Facebook group and you have your Instagram, all the things. Yeah. So those are the primary things. My free Facebook group is called Moms Raising Healthy Eaters. Um... And that one, I do live video trainings every Friday is what I'm aiming for, Fridays, um, at nap time. So that's 1230 (laughs) Central for me. (laughs) Um, And then I'll do like posts and just things. I'm really trying to make that feel like a community where, you know, people can get support and assistance from me, you know, being the registered dietitian that's hosting that group, as well as the other moms within that group. Um, so that is definitely still in the building stages, but it's been really fun to like make virtual friends through that. (laughs) Um, and then yes, Instagram is 
nourishing babes, no spaces or anything like that. Um, and that I try to post on pretty frequently throughout the week. Um, and then I'm also doing a coaching program. So I work one-on-one with moms, um, to just talk about all the things we've talked about so far today. Um, just to give more personalized answers to their questions and concerns, because I think, um, it's one thing to like go at the pace of Instagram or Facebook. And I'm talking about like what I think people want to know about or what (laughs) I want to tell them about. But if you have specific questions for you and your family, um, and need more one-to-one guidance, I do have a program for that. And that is like, if you go to your Instagram bio, Mm -hmm. it's in like your, like your bio link or whatever, right? Yep. Yep. And there's also in the Facebook group, there's a link that you can apply for. I call it apply for coaching. I think it kind of like makes people nervous, but just it's working with me. So basically Mm -hmm. what I do is I offer a free 15 minute phone call for anybody who wants to find out more about the program. Um, And we just kind of troubleshoot in that call. And if we can't solve it in 15 minutes, then I'll give them some recommendations for what the next steps could be. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on, sharing your wisdom around parenting and intuitive eating and um, body size, acceptance, and diversity. It's really, I, I love listening to you. I love learning from you. And I'm so grateful that um, that we were connected and that, that, that I was able to have you on the podcast. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me here. I'm so glad that you have this community and the podcast itself has been like really fun for me to listen to. I think I told you this, like I binged your podcast <laughs> yeah. once I found out about it and I was like, oh, I want to be friends with her. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm virtual friends now. It's been- I know. I know. When you sent me that, um, like that video message, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good relationship. I'm excited <laughs> for this. And then I like scrolled through your pages and I saw one that was very like about diet culture, like anti-diet culture. And I think I sent you a message right away. Like, yep. Yep, this is happening. I'm really happy about this connection. (laughs) Thanks again to Alex from Nourishing Babes for hopping on the podcast and sharing all of her wisdom with us. If you guys enjoyed this one, feel free to share it on your Instagram and tag both Alex at Nourishing Babes and myself at Giving the Bird Podcast. And you can rate, you can subscribe, and you can leave a review on Apple to make sure that other people know how much you enjoyed it. I'll see you back here in two weeks for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.